0: Strategic Healthcare Partners, founded by principals John Crew and Mike Scribner, operates from offices in Savannah and Atlanta. Our diverse team
1: prioritizes clients, ensuring we fully understand their needs. As your business partner, we are an extension of your professional identity. SHP tailors services to your individual needs, offering flexible pricing structures. From IPA management to financial analysis, we're here to empower your organization. Visit shplc.com for details.
2: Welcome to Beyond the Stethoscope, Vital Conversations with SHP. I'm your co-host, Aaron C. Higgins. Today is part two of the conversation that Jason Crosby and I had with Matt Usher. Today, we finish up this interview with a whole host of topics, including how specialty medication is making it harder to keep planes affordable, how the out-of-pocket maximums seem to be going crazy, and a little bit about the Humana Cigna merger news. Then we gaze into the crystal ball a little bit, to see what the future may look like for businesses looking to offer fair plans to their employees. We hope you enjoy this vital conversation with Matt Usher. We've seen a lot of increases on out-of-pocket maxes, right? The the OPs seem to be going higher and higher. We have the HSA plans and, and we'll speak from SHP's perspective. Um, you know, we we have a uh, we have an out-of-pocket max of, I think, 3500 for individuals, 7000 for families, for in-network, and then double that for out-of-network. And that's only gone up. I think when, when I started with SHP, it was 2000 and 4000 and, you know, it's, it's just continued to creep up. So, we're seeing that continue to rise based off of even the plan level, you know, our bronze, silver, and gold plans. So, how should both the employer and the employee assess these sort of OOP maxes, which, you know, I guess the lower the plan, the higher that out-of-pocket. I think some of the ones that we evaluated have that out-of-pocket max starting at 8,000 for the individual. That just seems insanity to me. Um, So what what should employers be doing about this? What can they?
1: Yeah, the indexed out-of-pocket maximums, were, in my opinion, one of the worst parts of the Affordable Care Act. And I know that there's, there's a lot of parts to that. But when the Affordable Care Act came out, it said your plan has to be gold, silver, bronze, platinum, whatever that may be. But the criteria for it to be gold, bronze, silver, whatever it may be, that number is going to change every year. So that created this indexing of -of out-of-pocket maximums, which really went from $6,000 back in 2014, to now we're at $9,450. That's the max that it can be for 2024. And it makes me want to puke, to be completely honest with you, because if you take someone who makes $40,000 a year, and their plan has a $9,450 out-of-pocket maximum, and they have a major medical expense occur, that's 10 per, or uh, 25% of their income is being spent to cover that major medical expense. All the while, they have, you know, a silver plan and they think they have good coverage. So, what we're trying to do at the employer level is get them out of the arrangements where you have to have these metallic level plans. So that's step one. Hey, if you can step out of these uh, ACA-rated or uh, fully insured plans then it opens the door to where we will have you know, lower out-of-pockets. I'm not gonna say significantly lower, but a more reasonable one like $4,000 or five would be a lot better than having an almost $10,000 out-of-pocket maximum. So there are solutions that exist to, to bring that down so that you're not really crushing your employees when they have that major medical event. At the employee level, I think it's really important that people focus on that number. I am on the other side of open enrollment meetings so we get the questions about how much does this cost per paycheck or what's it going to cost when I go to the doctor or how much is my prescription going to cost. We're talking about all of these little day to day expenses, which I'm not discounting the fact that they can be expensive. But health insurance is kind of moving away from covering all these little day to day expenses. And is really there for that catastrophic care so they're focusing on a $50 copay or a $100 copay. I want them to focus on the out of pocket maximum so that they understand, even if I have this really great plan, if something major happens to me, I'm going to be paying that out of pocket maximum. So we spend a lot of time, you know, getting them to look into it. And understand how the dynamics of how do you get to that out-of-pocket maximum, you know, because a lot of people still don't understand that as well. And and I get it, insurance is made to be complicated. But when I'm trying to coach someone through their, you know, their open enrollment or benefit options, even, you know, even friends that aren't clients of mine, we break it down starting with that out of pocket maximum so that they understand, hey, this is your true exposure. So you really have to compare that from plan to plan and try and determine is the premium that you're going to save out of your paycheck, does it offset that higher out of pocket maximum?
2: Yeah, no doubt. And and even, even from a a consumer standpoint, understanding in network and out of network and and how that's going to affect your out-of-pocket too. You know, if, if you have a favorite provider that's out of network and you're going to them, that's not going to affect your your in-network at all. And so you may be putting five, six thousand dollars towards your out of network and you haven't even scratched your in network. So that's that's important for people to understand that yeah, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. You just may have to pay more for it.
1: Yeah. What makes that even worse is when people really understand how the out of network works. Because a lot of people think, to your point, I paid five thousand dollars, I should have five thousand dollars applied to my out of network deductible or out-of-network, out-of-pocket, their heads literally explode when they realize that the amount that gets applied to that out-of-network deductible or out-of-network, out-of-pocket is what the insurance company would have paid in an in-network arrangement. So if your $5,000 would have been negotiated down to $1,500, then that's, $1,500 is the only dollar amount that's getting credited towards that deductible or out-of-pocket. And that's a really tough spot um it's it's tough for people to wrap their heads around it because you don't know what that number will actually be you just know what you've spent but we've seen situations where the difference in what the the member is paid for a service and what the provider actually pays for in network uh care is uh you know significant i mean on anesthesia it's almost uh you know, 10 times, you're paying $300 for a, for a service that maybe the insurance company pays $30 for. That's, a, that's also, you know, a very common out of network issue that we run into. So it's easy to kind of reference that, but it's difficult uh, to, to keep the doctors that you want and still have some sort of keeping track of your finances and making sure you're not spending a ton of money on that care. It, it makes it really challenging.
0: Matt, you you touched on HSAs earlier in the conversation, and here we are trying to now talk about how to alleviate some of the burden on the employee and consumer. So, touch a little bit first, I guess, on what you're seeing with HSAs, which we're blessed at SHP, we've got that, and that's certainly uh, very, very helpful. But what I'm caught off guard a little bit is with the uh, individual coverage, the the ICHRAs, which you don't seem to hear about as much as I would expect to as they get off the ground a few years ago maybe touch on as well why that is or maybe we're just not seeing that trend and what you're seeing in the market on the you know ic hra side
1: yeah so the hsa part one of the things that our agency is has done very well is we've had hsa plans in place for as long as they've existed Uh, many of our clients just adopted them early And it's been really funny to watch that market because back in the day, an HSA was either a $2,000 or a $2,500 deductible. And it was hundred percent coverage after that deductible. And those plans were typically about 50% less than the comparable, you know, copay plan or even a $5,000 deductible copay plan. What happened is sick people started to realize that the HSA plan would save them a ton of money and the insurance companies started to really lose money because people were electing the HSA, not from a consumerism play, from a straight, hey, I'm going to save 50% on my premium and I'm going to actually pay less uh, over the course of the year to get my care. And if I want to open up this account, I can also get some tax benefit to it as well. So. Insurance companies have have really priced HSAs to be not as competitive as they were five years ago, 10 years ago, which has made it challenging. Additionally, the indexing of those out-of-pocket maximums, those HSA plans had lower requirements for the out-of-pocket maximum. So as the traditional market was moving up towards that $9,450 out-of-pocket maximum, these HSAs Still had a seventy-two fifty or seventy-four fifty out of pocket maximum. So even though there was a lot of skin in the game for the employee because it is an HSA plan, the total risk was actually less than a comparable plan, um, and the insurance companies had to price for that. So it's been difficult because you know you guys have have long had HSA plans, and many of our clients have, and now they're not they're not exactly the the least expensive option in the market but you've grown accustomed to that model and they do work long term even at the member level so it's it's difficult to keep that going but we are finding ways to continue to make them appealing part of it is also at the employer level i think getting the adoption of an HSA plan to your full spectrum of employees is you got to give them HSA money you really do you have to give them some way to help start saving you know in that health savings account so that they can understand hey we're going with maybe a different style plan but we're going to give you some money to help offset some of the expenses that you that you are going to incur versus a traditional plan so that's the other piece of the puzzle is is making it be affordable at the employer level and the employee level but then from the employer's perspective making it be attractive to the employee. And that's by throwing some money in the pot to help them start that health savings account. The other piece that you, that you mentioned is the, the individual coverage health reimbursement arrangement, which commonly referred to in the market as ICRAs. ICRAs have been very popular in other markets. Uh, for instance, South Carolina, just right across the border, They've been running with ICRAs for two, three years. As soon as they came out in the market, a lot of employers adopted that type of model. But we're sitting here in Georgia and we're just not seeing it take off. Now, if you talk to the ICRA vendors, they are getting ridiculous amounts of growth because they're starting from zero, right? So each year they're growing by maybe 30 or 50%, which sounds like a lot, but we're just not seeing it hit in the market like we thought it would. I think it's a great concept. And and just to kind of help understand what an ICRA is, an ICRA would allow an employer to say, look, we're no longer having a quote unquote group health insurance policy. Instead of having this group policy, we're going to give you a certain amount of money each month And you're gonna use that money to then go out and buy your own individual coverage plan. So the benefit to the employer is it takes them out of what we call kind of the rat race of having to deal with these increases each year. Uh, To your point earlier about analyzing plans, having to sit there and go through a whole bunch of plans and hopefully pick the right plan or plans, you know, two or three plans for 30 or 50 or 500 employees Now you're giving the employee money and saying, look, you go out and buy the plan that best suits you. So that is very appealing. The reason that it hasn't taken off in Georgia, in my opinion, is because the networks for those plans, they're garbage. Uh, The individual plans in Georgia, they are all HMO networks. They're all state-based HMO networks. So even if you know a big name insurance company has an hmo network in another state you're not able to access that you have to stay in your home state so that's a big negative because we've been accustomed to these big national networks and not having to lose providers and change providers that's that's one big obstacle the other obstacle is going right back to the the high out-of-pocket maximums the individual market is designed to appeal to low income people that would qualify for a premium subsidy. A lot of those plans, average level silver plans, have a $6,000 or $7,500 deductible, which just isn't really comparable to the traditional you know, employer sponsored plans, which might have a $2,500 or $3,500 deductible. So that that's also another challenge. Now, I do believe that they're gonna to continue to have this 30 to 50% growth year over year. And they will be attractive in our market at some point. But part of that is gonna be either because the small group insurance market becomes unaffordable for employers to continue to maintain going back to that 15 or 20% year over year. If that just keeps going, they're gonna run out of runway and they're not gonna be able to continue to offer that. So that may be one shoe that would fall The other is the networks. If they can improve the individual market networks, then there would be greater adoption of those ICRA models.
2: Okay, so Matt, a recent headline here is that Cigna and Humana are looking at merging uh, together. So what's your hot take on that?
1: So my thoughts on it are, uh, first you kind of have to understand why Humana exited the, the commercial market. Um, which if you're not aware, uh, Humana exited the commercial health insurance market, which means that they don't sell health insurance anymore to individuals that are under the age of 65 and they also don't sell health insurance to businesses anymore. Um, so that, that has occurred in the last year. Uh, shifting their focus to you know Medicare, um, which they already had a presence in Medicare so what I've read thus far, it seems like the whole Cigna deal uh, with Humana is Cigna doesn't really have a strong presence in the Medicare market. Um, Humana does. Uh, then the the benefit uh, from Humana looking at Cigna is Cigna owns their PBM, uh, which, you know, Express Scripts, which was another challenge and another reason why I think that Humana left the commercial insurance market. Um, where all these insurance companies are making their money now is through the prescription benefit management companies that they own. Um, So Humana did not have that. And I feel like they were feeling the pain and not being able to compete with, you know, an Anthem or Elevance, as they call themselves now, or United Healthcare, which owns Optum, Um, you know, obviously CVS and Aetna, right there together. So they were competing against uh, competitors that controlled their pharmacy market, which is where a lot of the income comes from now. And uh, they didn't have that piece. So, you know, I'm still peeling it back, but to me, that's kind of what it seems like when you look at the mergers of insurance companies, a lot of it is for that government business. So if a, if a company has a lot of Medicare enrollment or a lot of Medicaid management, you know, they'll they're attractive, right? Cause that's a profitable piece of business. So that was always one part of the merger process that we saw. But this prescription benefit management has become so uh, prevalent in the last couple of years that that's the other attractive piece. And it's like you got to have one or the other or you're just not going to be able to keep pace with with the companies that do.
2: Right. It's the whole vertical integrated thing that they all seem to be chasing that even the likes of Amazon and Best Buy seem to be pursuing, too, is. Built these vertically integrated networks, so they're they're cradle to grave, literally, throughout your whole life, giving you all your healthcare needs. So it, it, it makes sense. That's that's a good explanation. I'm I'll be curious though to see if the Biden administration actually approves the merger. They've they've indicated they're not terribly hot on these healthcare mergers happening. So, right. I guess that's the real key. Yeah.
1: Well, the it's, DOJ it's, let it happen. Right. I mean, it's funny, you know, they're not keen on it yet. They still are occurring. Right. And so it's just it'll be interesting to see how it plays out.
2: Wrapping up here as we head into 2024, I think by now everyone has already picked their plans for 2024. It's a little late if you're just getting started. So we need to be looking forward a year ahead now. So what are what are tips and tricks to help employers and and maybe employees and consumers too? as they do look forward a year from now, going into 2025, uh, to, to better assess the, the plans? I, I know we need a little bit of a crystal ball because things could change over the next year, specifically on the state levels, but may, maybe as a whole, what should they be looking for?
1: I think the first thing an employer needs to do is they need to understand what market their coverage is being purchased in, right? Is it a fully insured plan? Is it an ACA market, community-rated market? Are we level funded? Are we partially self-funded? Are we uh, risk rated? Uh, We we see businesses spend a ridiculous amount of money for health insurance, but not at the surface level know where they're actually buying that health insurance. They'll know the insurance company. They may know the funding arrangement, but do they really understand why? So, A big thing that fully insured companies can do, so if you have a fully insured plan right now, is really now you have the time to kind of remove the numbers from the equation. You've already done your renewal. You know what you have for 2024. But let's talk high level at what other solutions could benefit your company. And why are we not doing that right now? Maybe we have a lot of specialty medications. Uh, What obstacles are, are preventing us from taking one of those strategies right now and how are we gonna use the next 12 months to eliminate that obstacle or maybe make it a much smaller speed bump in the road to moving to one of these partially self-funded arrangements because ultimately you're gonna need to be in a self-funded arrangement if you really wanna have any control over the future of your company's healthcare spend. And that doesn't matter whether you're a two person group or a 25,000 person group, you don't have any control until you can actually see what's happening you know behind the veil on how your plan is actually being used from from your employees i think the you know the other piece is at the at the member level it's being a better consumer of the actual care that you receive paying a little bit more attention to what certain things are costing the actual insurance company or your plan I think, gives you a better idea of the actual impact that you're making, you know, as a part of your team. I think employees and members need to understand we're all in this together. We're all kind of on the same boat. And when you move into one of those self-funded arrangements, that's even more and more important. So it's not, hey, don't get the care that you need. It's let's take a few moments to understand, is this the best care for me? Is this the most affordable way to receive that care? And will it have a negative impact on the business as a whole or my fellow coworkers by the way of having significant you know, claims incurred? And that's, that's really difficult for someone to do. But if you just kind of pay attention to the EOBs that you're seeing for the care that you receive, you can see what you're paying, but you also see what the insurance company is paying. And it gives you a better idea of what that total spend is. A lot of it's very simple, simple questions. Oh, I have to have a surgery. All right, uh, doctor, does that have to be done in the hospital or can we have it done at a freestanding facility? Oh, I have to have an MRI. All right, well, does that have to be done at the hospital or can we have it done at an imaging center? It, it seems really simple for someone like myself and, and probably you know, both of you because of the business that we're in, but a lot of people don't ever think to even ask that question. The more care that you can receive outside of the hospital, the more money you will save and the more money the plan will save. And I think that's a concept that uh, people are starting to grasp. And and the way that I like to 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 help those members kind of understand that is we just went through COVID, Right. All the sick people are in the hospital. So even at the very basic level, if you need to have an MRI done, you're going to go check in the hospital. You're going to be at the pre-registration. You're going to go sit in a waiting room. You're going to maybe sit and wait after the MRI if they had to give you some type of sedation or something. Generally, you're in a room with a lot of other people. You're in a hospital so everyone in there is sick, right? So any step that you can uh, do to kind of avoid that interaction is going to keep you healthier because you might pick up something while you're in the hospital. And at the end of the day, it wasn't really necessary for you to have that care rendered in the hospital setting. So, you know, that that's a very basic thing to do. uh, But people don't think about it going, going down to this simple, hey, pharmacist, is there a cheaper way to get this medication? Or doctor, is this the best medication for my condition? Or is there something else that we may be able to do to help, help me financially, but also help, help me uh, holistically get better? Great input. Well,
0: Tell you what, we've come to the uh, end of the, the hour here. Great information, even better conversation, Matt. I'm sure the listeners will find all this information useful and uh, hopefully applicable to their organizations and the, just their, their daily lives. So we appreciate your time and, and joining us today. Uh, you've been helpful to us as employees, one-on-one and as a group, as, as Aaron has mentioned. So I think others would be better off reaching out to you as well. And again, for those that are active on LinkedIn, you'll, You'll find, Matt, with some of those, those useful, you know, three-minute, five-minute type of educational videos, I would I would highly encourage you to to reach out and do that. Uh, and thank you again to our listeners for your time. We look forward to our next podcast. And till then, everybody have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Matt.
1: Really enjoyed it.
0: You've been listening to Beyond the Stethoscope, vital conversations with SHP.
2: This has been our production of Strategic Healthcare Partners. Your hosts are Jason Crosby and me, Aaron C. Higgins. This episode is produced and edited by Nyla Weave. Our social media content producer is Jeremy Miller.
0: The transcriber
2: is Heather McKnight, and our executive producers are Mike Scribner and John Curry. For more information about SHP, the services we offer, including the back library of episodes, episode transcripts, links to resources that we discussed, and much more, please visit our website at shplc.com slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.
1: Analytics, lacking the tandem of actionable reporting with expert analysis, not confident in the knowledge of your reporting system? SHP's expert analysts transform data from your EMR system into actionable insights. Understand your facility's performance, control outcomes, and enhance patient experience. As payment models shift to value-based care, our guidance can improve your bottom line. Visit shpllc.com for details.